The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 21, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, what is with your cabbage take? You gotta let me know now. How you doing, brother? Cabbage is good. <laughs> this, is a, this is okay. Every day you said is a good you would eat cabbage alive. as a meal. That's have you ever had? Okay, listen. You take red cabbage. You slice and dice it up. You put it in a slow cooker with like a stick of butter. Okay. And you let that thing simmer for eight hours. It's delicious. Yeah. Listen, I, I come from I come from a, a Russian background. Like the ground only yielded so many vegetables uh, back <laughs> in the homeland. Okay, back in the in the peasant background in the farms. Christianic. I can't remember the word for peasants. Anyway, peasants. Uh, and we ate cabbage, and it was delicious. And so I grew up eating a ton of cabbage. You know, like every every old calendar Christmas on January sixth or January seventh, we would go to the Lednev's house and eat cow tongue. Like, this is just what I, you know what I mean? Like, uh, cabbage what I grew up on. That's delicious, man. Are you still a peasant? My grandfather was a peasant, and my great-grandmother on the opposite side was, like, royalty. So when my grandfather got married to my grandmother, it was a big, it was issues, right? Because they had just moved to America, and my grandfather and my grandmother got married. They were big family problems. But, yeah, I mean, like, by now, yeah, by now we're we're peasants. We're just American peasants. But, yeah. (laughs) 
That's excellent. Okay, so this has been Cabbage Talk on the Kistin Solak Show. What we're going to do now, look, gentle listeners, I know we promised that we were going to move on from this loss in the last show. However, one thing that we neglected to do and we promised you we would do is three words. So after three words, and I'll, I'll explain what that is in a second, we're going to get into the preview of the Minnesota Vikings offense against the Philadelphia Eagles defense. That's going to be the main topic of the show. But first, we asked you for three words to describe this loss with the Eagles against the Titans from last Sunday. Sorry, we have to revisit this, but we promised you that we would read your best responses, your best three-word reactions to the loss here on BGN Radio. We went over our time yesterday. We didn't get to it, so we're going to do it now before we get into the main topic. Ben, I believe you have those pulled up. What do you have? Yeah, so I'm scrolling through them here really quick. The first one I want to identify is uh, Burnt Toast Mills, which is from Dwayne McKinney, who comments a lot. And the reason I want to bring this up is because I want to ask you, Mike, did you see the the picture that was going around on Twitter of just a piece of burnt toast with a green mohawk on top? Oh, that's fantastic. That reminds me of what people were doing to Bradley Fletcher. That's crazy. <laughs> no. What were, people, what were people doing to Bradley Fletcher? Oh, same thing. Burnt toast. I mean, it's a common thing for defensive backs that can't get right. Yeah, but I, Bradley Fletcher did not have a characteristic <laughs> yeah. hairstyle that was photoshopped on top, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Interesting one, Mike. I would love to get your take on this one. Uh, this is from Joe Fair at JoeFair0630. Carson didn't deliver. Okay, weird. That's a weird yeah. one. Okay, is it weirder, though, than Askel at Killikow, who says Mambo number five? I do. Okay. Yeah, these da, are starting da, da, really da, starting da, off da, hot da, here. Da, <laughs> no, there, there, no, there were definitely some good ones. I think we should shout out um, the other, the other talent, BGN Radio. John Stolness says he misses Rodney, which is very correct. Mm. BLG may, may he, he forever, forever rain. rain uh, says Corey Graham, why? Right, which these these are kind of like uh, they they harp on the same issue, which was that it was perceived that really the safety play uh, and the lack of Rodney McLeod is what shook things up and made it very very rough. At TGP Schmenk was my probably my favorite one because this is very clever versus what we usually get. He just said any three expletives, which is funny because usually the responder chooses the expletives mm. they want to say about the win, whether good or bad. He said, listen, you can pick any of the three that you like. And I appreciate that freedom that he gave us. My favorite curse word is the F word. So I'm going to give this game <laughs> three Fs. At Wet Luzinski says three-fourth downers, yeah. which is wordplay. Yeah, I like uh-huh. that. Because of, you know, it's clever. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least, one that I liked a good deal was at Matt Grumbrecht, uh, who's a guy who also replies a lot, says, trade for Matthew, which is weird because is that a thing that's happening? Trade for for the honey badger? Tehran Matthew. Hmm. Yeah, so like, the the I, I guess the, the logic there is the Texans traded for a year of Teron Matthew. They do have uh, Justin Reed, who they brought in as young safety, who's been playing quite well for them off of what I've seen. And also there's the general idea that the Texans aren't really going to compete this year. They've really been struggling. Uh, that offensive line is absolutely in shambles, which makes things very rough. Teron Matthew is uh, not unlike Earl Thomas, before he got injured, of course, in a contract year. Do they necessarily are they going to be extending him after the they uh, they signed Reed and they already have Kareem Jackson there? Like, what's the situation look like? So, I mean, interesting. It wouldn't shock me if that's a call that Howie makes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but it just that wasn't an idea that crossed my head. Well, look, I'll put it to you this way: if the Eagles, according to an NFL insider, who who was it that that reported this that the Eagles were considering 
for a while now trading for Le'Veon Bell, which, which would just be wild. That's JLC, baby. That's Lock and Fora. Oh, Lock and Fora. Oh, he's a hack. Never mind. That's that's nonsense. I mean, here's the thing about Lock and Fora. I think that he is not terrible in his region, which is like Baltimore, D.C., uh, Philly. Mm. He's not been bad there. When he tries to go national, in my experience, he has no idea what he's talking about. But yeah. the story on BleedingGreenNation.com, which you can go check it out, the most recent update is that Lock and Fora has, you know, a while ago said Eagles might be interested. You know, Eagles are a team that's making calls. And now he's saying Eagles have had interest for a while. Like, this is something, this is a situation they've been monitoring. Uh, which, you know, they snag a Jai, uh, you know, when kind of he's on the outs with his team. It's just discount running back bargain bin shopping is kind of the uh, the modus operandi for a lot of teams now, given the, the way that running backs are valued versus offensive line. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility. I would be shocked. But, like, uh, there is a, a path that I think you can see. Can you guess the one player at running back that I think that we would possibly trade for that would make me very, very happy? Spencer Ware. Yeah, you got it, buddy. Bang! <laughs> What's good? Kansas City running back Spencer Ware, who's not being used very much. Excellent in pass pro. A very viable wide receiver. Wink, wink. A tough runner nice, between nice. the tackles. And I am concerned about the long-term use of Jay Ajayi in that back. He had to come out last game. Apparently, it's going to be a pain tolerance thing that's going to stick with him all season. So we may need some help. Darren Sproles can't get can't get healthy. Obviously, you got to check out the knee with Ware. And, he, you know, he, would, he was out for the season last year. But I loved his tape from the season before. I would absolutely love that trade. And that would, that would be real cheap for us. So that, for me, that would make me extremely happy. Listen, I think that and we don't know what's happening inside of the building, right? But there's no practice for Corey again today. Right. Which Mike, I'm taking your job. I'm doing injury updates. I'm just I'm grabbing it I'm grabbing at responsibilities here. What can I say? This is a there's a power trip. There's no Corey today, there's no Darren today. Obviously there's also no I think Fletcher Cox and there was no Derek Barnett and there was no somebody else, which probably most of that's just maintenance. You know what I mean? We didn't yeah. see anything uh, a long term issue. Obviously we'll stay updated on that. But no Corey, no Darren again, and Ajayi's limited. Listen, there's a reason Wendell Smallwood, like even if you like Wendell, there's a reason Smallwood's been in the building for three years and has never really broken RB3. He's the Jalen Watkins of the running back group. Even if he's playing, hey, he didn't come from Florida. Well, he came from West Virginia, which is just the new Florida for Howie, so it's fine. <laughs> even if he's playing like as well, like his best football that we've seen in the NFL, he's still a guy you don't want as above your RB3. Right. You know what I mean? Like if he's got a bigger role than that, it means you got a, a, a dearth of the position. So for as long as, you know, Sproles keeps being shaky and obviously now you got Clement and Ajay to monitor, every week it's going to become more of like, man, we're missing a, a player who can just capitalize on, not even impact player, just player who can capitalize on some really big rushing lanes and can rip off a couple big plays for us. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me the interest in Bell is there. You know, if they're trading for Bell, it's when he's on his franchise tag deal every week that goes by that deal is cheaper because it's game checks right yeah well you can just sit on that for a little bit obviously putting Le'Veon in this offense is exciting and it's a fun concept to think about but there's no way he's staying beyond a year he's definitely hitting right. free agency and what we know that Bell wants is that long-term deal mm. and so if Bell comes and he probably his agent and he can very clearly see that he's not getting a long-term deal here how active of a player is he going to be you know he's made it very clear he's willing to miss game time even if it ruins his profitability so and the bell thing is tenuous for that reason uh i think yeah a guy like a spencer where is a far more interesting conversation I'm trying to think like so detroit is trying to figure out what's going on with their running backs right now like they've got carry on johnson rookie out of auburn who 
you know, it should be uh, warranting touches for them, but they brought in other running backs. You know what I mean? Like, it's very unclear what their rotation is right now. But they're not using Blunt often, and they're not using Blunt well. Right. He was pretty decent, Mike, in little limited snaps here, Philadelphia Eagles last year. So I'm if, if Blunt isn't getting a significant amount of carries in Detroit, if in part because on Johnson's taking them, dude, get get the lines on the line. Bring Blunt back. Yeah. He was great. You know, just 1A, 15 carries a game. That's all you need right now. That's a good option. Yeah, I like that idea. That would be fascinating if we went back and, and uh, got got Blunt. I like what he did here. I like what he did here. Despite some of the red zone production that I that I thought was lacking from him, but historically it has been good with him. We've gotten Listen, better production there. He's a solid piece, and he's a great locker room you, guy for us. And you and you just you know it's gonna work. You know you know yeah. what to do, right? right? It's very easy. Like you've done it before. Plug you'll and do it play. Again. And that's something that I'd be very curious to see what Detroit will take for Blunt. It depends on how that rotation shakes out. They got to still figure that out over there. So once they do, you start making calls. Okay, so we are all updated. We are officially done talking about this loss to the Tennessee Titans. And in honor of that, and I apologize, gentle listener, I made you suffer through it for one more show. But in honor of that, I am going to crack a beer from the Three Daughters Brewery, St. Pete Beach Blonde Ale, in celebration of moving on and hopefully kicking the tar out of the Minnesota Vikings like we did in the NFC Championship game. Excuse me why. This is my water bottle. Very nice. Refreshing. So, Ben, main topic for today as we move on to this matchup with the 1-2-1 and Minnesota Vikings as we come in 2-2 and and welcome the Vikings to Lincoln Financial Field yet again. Ben, Eagles defense against this Minnesota Vikings offense, and you were looking at this offense throughout the day. I wanted to get your take first because this is kind of your baby. Like, I have my babies like the Tennessee Titans offense Mm -hmm. and whatnot. This is right in your wheelhouse, and it's. I'm interested to see what you saw from John DiFilippo, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if my eyes are not deceiving me, his offense isn't necessarily the one that that we ran in Philadelphia. It goes back a little bit further in his coaching career. It's more of a West Coast-style offense. Occasionally, occasionally they'll try the the deep shots with off play action, which I don't think they do enough, but we'll talk about that. And uh, one of the things that I saw that was dangerous for us is they like to get Stefan Diggs stacked in tight alignments and free him up that way. And with the communication issues that we've had in the secondary, I think that can cause some problems with us, along with just the wide receivers, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs being excellent wide receivers, causing problems for our struggling corners right now. So what did you see schematically from this Minnesota Vikings offense with Kirk Cousins and John DiFilippo? Yeah, anybody who's remotely interested in, in NFL schemes and football schemes will know the name Chris Brown, right? He's an author who has covered uh, the evolution of offensive schemes extensively. And he wrote a post, which, you know, there's many posts on his blog, Smart Football. But he wrote a post that I remember reading and being like, this is important. And it's just one of those posts where a line sticks uh, sticks in your head. And it was a line about the evolution of, pa- it was a post about the evolution of passing concepts. And the line was that every new in quotation marks right like every uh every major passing concept that's new that that's kind of in the rage is essentially just a triangle read it's mm. pretty much all that it is and when we talk about a triangle read well when you stretch it the, the the field exists in two dimensions right it's a flat piece of paper the field and so you can only stretch a defense horizontally sideline to sideline or vertically towards the end line and so a triangle read incorporates three receivers and thereby a horizontal stretch and a vertical stretch. You either mm. got two receivers shallow and one receiver deep or flip it, one receiver underneath, two receivers deep. And by incorporating both a horizontal and a vertical stretch, triangle read style of plays beat 
almost every coverage, you kind of want to say. Like, it's hard to say that, obviously, but always somebody's got a good chance to get open because no matter how the defense puts zones over those route concepts, somebody's getting stretched because there are horizontal and vertical stretches in that area of the field. Now, if you rotate a zone over there, you can overload it and you can get enough bodies, but that's a tricky kind of a guessing game. Obviously, man coverage as well, but still, in triangle reads, you can incorporate man-beating routes. So, the West Coast offense, Mike, is pretty, like, you know, in general terms, tethered to this idea of the triangle read. Mm. A lot of West Coast ideas, snag, spot, you know, even, like, if you want to call hitch a, a, a west coast or why cross a west coast west coast idea you can run them yeah yeah well so spacing is triangle right. spacing is just another word that's what spacing yeah. is spacing is everybody run to these points of the triangle mm-hmm. and we're going to call this route spacing but literally they're synonymous okay yeah. john d filippo uh new york jets in the early 2000s then to oklahoma or to, to oakland right these were west coast uh styles of offense and then he comes to Philadelphia, and it's very much a, a spread, you know, new West Coast, the Andy Reid West Coast, Doug Peterson, whatever. Now that he's back coordinating an offense in Minnesota, it looks so much more so like his 2015 Cleveland offense than it does his Eagles offense, okay? And that's honestly a little disappointing, because to me, he's reverted. It is not as spready as I would like to see. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that's the direction the NFL is going, and, and, and he's swimming against the current there a little bit. But what you're going to see everywhere, Mike, on on the film of the the Vikings offense is simply he's going to get three receivers to his side and he's going to run a triangle stretch. Sometimes he might simply run like a Salem, like just like a a high-low stretch or, or, um, you know, an Ohio. Like uh, these are, you know, West Coast ideas, just high-low stretch. Or he'll run a flood to a deep zone, like flywheel sometimes. But really, we're looking at short to intermediate, seven to eight yards, dink and dunk style west coast offense yeah and i'm very curious as to why that's what he's running i think some of it could have to do with a lack of trust in his offensive line that ball needs to come out quick i think some of it can do with the fact that i don't know how much he trusts kirk cousins arm strength mike they barely throw out breaking routes they barely throw deep yeah and no it's a very uh you know a lot of the complaints of the 2016 eagles offense lack of air yards cousins i think is like six point something as far as air yards per attempt I don't think it's very high. Yeah. This offense is a little bit restricted, and it's basically just giving those half-field triangle reads. Now, Filippo does a lot of creative stuff to get into those situations, and he does well to, you know, uh, leverage his personnel well. You know, you've got Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. It's a shame you're not pushing the ball deep all the time. And I'm sure he wishes he could do that more, but he doesn't really. Uh, and so what you'll see, and I think this is the number one thing that's very interesting and impressive, when a defense lines up against an offense, they set up their defense according to the passing strength and to the running strength. They have to clarify both of these things. And DeFilippo is aware of that discrepancy, and he kind of maximizes it. DeFilippo will start with a formation where the passing strength and the running strength are both to the same side of the formation. And then with a, with a quick motion of a tight end, like just flip him to the other side of the line, he'll make it so that the running strength and the passing strength of the, of the offense are divorced. They're right. separated. So the passing strength is to the defense's left, the running strength to the defense's right. That puts your defense in a, in a bind from the jump, let alone the fact you're motioning into it after originally giving a nicer look. And he does that very frequently. You often see, and you're going to see it on Sunday, tight end motion where he just pops from one side of the line to the other. And it seems so pedestrian. And against man coverage defenses, it kind of is. Against a zone coverage heavy defense like Philadelphia's, that can cause you issues. And that can give you plus number advantages, especially in the run game. And he does really well to get like three on three, like to half of a box 
right? Let's say it's like a seven-man block versus eight-man box. Well, he gets it so that you've only got three guys on one side of the box and five on the other. He'll kind of divide the box like that with this motion, and then he's got plus running advantages. So it's very important for Philadelphia's linebackers, in my opinion, to remain very, very disciplined against the run and not over-adjust to these motions because DeFilippo switches his passing strength a ton. And what's interesting there is the fact that, and you talk about the run game and the, the Vikings have struggled to get that off the ground literally dead last in rushing yards per game I think third from last or fourth from last for uh, yards per attempt and then you know looking at at the passing side I'm looking at the pro football focus matchups offensive line versus defensive line the Minnesota Vikings have the second highest disadvantage when it comes to uh, running blocking uh, advantage there they're at negative 50 percent the highest team as far as disadvantage is the Arizona Cardinals against the San Francisco 49ers that's at negative 63 percent it's going to be a bloodbath and then for passing advantage for pass blocking advantage they're at negative 39 percent worst in the entire league out of the matchups this upcoming weekend and I saw this tweet and I was talking about this with Arif Hassan from the Athletic Minnesota on the previous episode that I dropped here at the Kiss and Select show, episode number 20. And I told him, look, the Vikings over four games, 81 total pressures. Most teams give up around 160 over the life of a season. They're on pace for 324 pressures allowed. And it would be the most that PFF has charted by over 70 pressures, according to Sam Monson. Along with that, they rank dead last in pass blocking efficiency by a lot. So this is a team that if they can't get decent blocking from this front, everything that you've talked about with the schemes and everything like that just kind of may fall apart. But we've seen teams work around that with the Philadelphia Eagles. Fletcher Cox, I believe, leads the league in pressures where he gets it in a certain amount and can't get to the quarterback because the ball comes out so quickly. And we've seen teams do it. We talk about it week in, week out. And uh, Kirk Cousins has got to get rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or less against this Philadelphia right. Eagles defensive front, period. Now, if you've got, it's very interesting, uh, the, the SB Nation advanced analytics that they've kind of been pushing out recently. I took my first look at it this week just trying to parse it and figure out what, what kind of is going on and what I find interesting and what I don't. Uh, they got relative measures, like, you know, uh, uh, rates of success rate, uh, success rates, excuse me, yeah. for blitz downs, offense versus defense, which I think is really cool to see just not when pressure comes, because that's trickier to chart when a blitz comes, right? Just when the defense is blitzing, what's going to happen? The, the Vikings are very successful, fourth in the league, Mike, in terms of being successful on blitz downs. They pick up the requisite amount of yardage because the ball's coming out quickly. That said... They have a very low uh, big play rate, they're 19th in the league, and very, very low sack rate, they're 25th in the league. Mm. What's the story there? If you can blitz and take away the first read, yeah, which like, okay, yeah, obviously, but if you can blitz and take away the first read, this offense is dead in the water. Yep. Uh, Cousins is not a super mobile, escaping, creative quarterback. That's never been his game. This offensive line cannot hold up against five or six man pressures, and they and and they do not take shots against cover zero, cover one when you're blitzing. They do not go down the field. They go short. Yeah, and this is going to sound weird considering their league low rushing output, but they run play action only 16% of their dropbacks. And I feel that number needs to come up because out of 22 qualifying quarterbacks that play over 50% of their team snaps. Kirk Cousins ranked 20th in, in play action percentage. When you're dealing with somebody that so far with play action is 25 for 32, 333 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 130.9 quarterback rating, which ranks third in the league, just a feeling, Ben. But you should do more of that. And I understand 
Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, but you don't necessarily need an effective run game to have an efficient play action game, as we can obviously see from this admittedly small sample size. And, and things were affected by game script against the Packers, where they had to rally late right. in Buffalo, where they went down early, but they need ways to keep that rush off Kirk Cousins. And if that means seven-man protection or six with a chip and a check down release on play action and sending three guys out, then maybe that's what it needs to be. Listen, and the thing is, this these are not the play action looks that you're getting out of shotgun were very frequent in today's NFL where a quarterback can have his eyes on the route concepts all the time, put the ball in the running back's belly and just pull it out and pop it. You know what I mean? This is not with the way D Filippo's running that West coast offense cousins under center a good amount. And so when you're going to be running those play action ideas, you're going to be putting cousins back to the ball. So I understand the aversion. And again, you know, the Eagles have been league leading under Doug Peterson in play action attempts. But when, DeFilippo was with the Browns. They were in the bottom third of the league in terms of play action pass opportunities, how often they did it. And it's the same thing now with the Vikings, which again, I would argue is a bit of a step back. Uh, and, and he's kind of stepping away from something that's been proven to be successful, not only in the league, but where he just was, which is disappointing to see. Cousins, dude, 2017 league leader in passer rating. Yeah. During play action passes. Yeah. What Wild. are you doing? <laughs> right. Like it, it is, he's not a top 10 quarterback in the league. Right, Cousins isn't. Right. Period. There's a way you can make him act like one, Mike. <laughs> you run play action. He's clearly quite good at it. Now, I, I would have to get into the 2017 Washington tape there and get a better feel for what play action concepts they were running, and if Cousins is turning his back, and if it's hard rollouts, and if it's half rolls, and whatever. But that would have been the first thing I looked for in in, in the Washington tape when I went and traded for a quarterback, and or not traded, picked him up on the market for 84 million dollars guaranteed. Yeah, but I mean, why why wouldn't – and you know, I, I think from why I remember from the 2017 tape, it was turning your back, but also rolling at the same time, get him on the move. You're going to have to do that with this offensive line. You need to manufacture a new pocket or a way for Cousins to get away from the pocket and allow these deep routes to develop. And the Eagles have been beat by them time and time again all season. I mean, listen, when you're – running this West Coast offense, right? And I'm talking about these triangle reads. You can pretty comfortably draw a dotted line straight down the middle of the field as a defense and be like, all right, the three guys over there aren't crossing this line and the two guys over there aren't crossing this line. Occasionally, we will get a crosser. He'll probably identify himself very, very quickly. He'll probably be a mesh crosser right away. Just by the release, yeah. I don't know if the Eagles are going to necessarily run split safety because they don't usually... But man, like, let me tell you, the Buffalo Bills ran split safety. They ran cover two man and they said, hey, do anything different. And Minnesota couldn't. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Bills were ripping pressure with four and five, which is something we've got to discuss. But the Bills, with a decently talented secondary, like probably like one of the top 12 in the league, but not like an overwhelming secondary, sat in cover two and or cover two man Hmm. and said, hey. I dare you to yeah. throw it into the middle of the field. You just didn't do it. Same thing that the uh, you might see from the Eagles. Who knows what they are from week to week from uh, from a defensive standpoint. Before we move to some of the coverage matchups and, and get into the intricacies of that, real quick, I want to talk about this offensive line. Riley Reef, the tackle, has played bad. Pat Alfline has, has come back and he struggled. Rashad Hill, the tackle last week, he gave up five pressures. Mike Remmers gave up eight pressures. Tom Compton gave up seven pressures alone. 
last week. That's 15 pressures between two guys. The first tape that I put on was week one, Minnesota Vikings against the San Francisco 49ers. And within the first two drives, I saw Tom Tom Compton get beat like a drum by the same alignment that the Eagles like to use on passing downs where they get super wide. And there are those B gaps, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And there's nobody in the A except for maybe a linebacker yeah, that's yeah. kind of looking around. But Fletcher Cox on Tom Compton, it looks like potential murder. Someone, he's going to die on the field from his soul being snatched by Fletcher Cox. We absolutely have to get home against these. I was looking at this. Kirk Cousins, he threw, let's see here. It, it was, I, I told this, I told this stat to Arif, but it was around 2.4 seconds, right? If you get the ball yeah. out in 2.4 seconds, we've said it a lot. Pressure rates are often tied to holding onto the ball. 2.4 is fast. That's typically top 10 for any quarterback in any week against the Buffalo Bills. 2.4 seconds. 53% pressure rate. That's so bad. And we're oh talking about the goodness. Bills. We're not talking about the Rams. We're talking about the Bills. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. When Harrison Phillips, rookie, third round, nose tackle out of Stanford, who does not have any quickness to stu- to speak of at all, is beating you consistently up front, you have what I like to call an interior offensive line problem that center 61 jones is not good and they're lucky that they got elf line back but he still struggled and i'm sure fletcher cox is going to beat him up but and but everyone around him is struggling so that they've got five people not playing riley reef should be playing better than that rashad hill is like i would put him up there as one of the and i and reef said this too and i agree one of the better backup tackles in the league but a backup tackle in this league right now with the state of offensive line play in the league ain't that good who's so who's 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 playing the best football right now on that line oh jeez, man you said best it's hard to say it's hard to attach that word who do, who do you okay. who do you think uh no i asked you first i'm not bailing you out i'll go with reef you know even though he's struggling he should be playing better but i'll go with riley reef i guess i don't know it's bad honestly honestly it's probably reef but like it might be <laughs> rashad hill like, right because reef was getting pants <laughs> everywhere jerry hughes who is like a good rusher but not like overwhelming was just violating him it was so bad mike oh my goodness we talked about the tennessee offensive line being poor and then the eagles didn't the defensive line didn't have their best outing i acknowledge that but with what you brought up with the Bills, where Cousins is still getting the ball out 2.4 seconds, yet the pressure rate is still exceedingly high, like that's indicative of if the Eagles defensive line can't eat here, then we've got a problem. They should eat today or Sunday. So that with that line, we expect a lot of pressure. This running game for the Vikings has been terrible. And I'm going to give you an over-under for this running attack for the Vikings. Over-under 30% success rate, over-under three yards per carry against the Eagles on Sunday. The fact that we have to think about this is big. <laughs> like, that just tells well, I'm you. I'm trying to, like, the Eagles' rush defense is so good, Mike. Right. Yeah, it's been amazing. Actually, okay, I'm going to take the Obers on both, and here's why. <gasps> Judas. I'll tell you why. <laughs> the Eagles' rush defense is very good, in part because the Eagles run cover three all the time. And the Eagles run single high pre-snap, which lets them put an eighth man in the box all the time usually Malcolm Jenkins. Mm. So they're consistently plus one in the boxes and and they really let their defensive linemen tee off and they let the linebackers just tee off and be very aggressive downhill, often because they're letting that deep defender come down and play the hole in that inverted cover two, that Tampa two robber we've been talking about. I wrote about it, Green Nation, go read it, whatever. 
I think they have to start doing something different. And if I put myself in the defensive coordinator's shoes and I say, what should I do differently? Uh, then my likely solution is, all right, I got to try to play with the seven-man box here. I got to try to give some more split safety looks at the, sl- the snap. I've got to start yeah. running some more too high just because I have to do some different things. Otherwise, I'm burnt toast out there. Jalen Mills, Green Mohawk, burnt toast, boom. So I think there's a chance the Eagles lighten up the box and let themselves lose a little bit of their esteemed run defense in a hopes to bolster their passing defense. This is my theory. So I'm going to take the overs. I'm going to take the unders. I mean, they're at home. Oh, yeah, that's the good that's that's the good bet. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you went the opposite. I appreciate you taking that bullet for me and explaining it and I I agree with some of the coverage concepts that you're talking about that absolutely need to need to change, but I'm going to go with the under at home. This Eagles defense front four is going to be an absolute wood chipper against this Minnesota Vikings offensive line. The matchups that I'm concerned with are obviously the Minnesota Vikings' uh, great pair of wide receivers. And I am not talking about Laquan Treadwell. I am talking about Stefan Diggs. And Kyle Rudolph. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Adam Thielen, who is a top 15 wide receiver in the NFL. Both of them are, in my opinion. So what is it looking like? Stefan Diggs mainly plays on the side where Jalen Mills plays. Oh, boy. And Adam Thielen being in the slot a lot is going to draw Sidney Jones. And then Laquan Treadwell will see a lot of Ronald Darby. As I mentioned before, the Vikings like to move Diggs around and Thielen around. And they'll get stacks and do different things and try to get matchups and rubs and, and whatnot. So it's not going to be a straight one-for-one. One. The Eagles don't shadow the number one wide receiver. So that's not, not going to happen. They don't flip you know, sides of the field with their guys. I mean, who do you call the number one wide receiver in Minnesota? Stephon Diggs. Is either... Hmm. Okay. What do you mean, like, well, as far as why, like, explain what, because so many people, especially around the Alshon discussion, uh, say wide receiver one, but they mean different things. What do you, what do you mean in this case about wide receiver right. one? Okay. If you were choosing a <laughs> wide receiver one to shadow, you would choose Stephon Diggs because he spends more time on the outside. I know. I'm just saying I like Adam Thielen better, which has been my take for like two years now. Don't get sassy. You know I'm a big Adam Thielen fan. Get sassy when I want to. I love Adam Thielen more than you do, and I loved him before you did. This is these are these are blatant lies. These are egregious lies. <laughs> I will find receipts. He's sneaky fast. That's what I like about him. Oh yeah, hard worker, launch pail guy. Yeah, yeah, Listen. yeah. Runs a well, runs a four four three. What does he run? He's fast. Thielen's super fast. Yeah, he runs four four low. I'm yeah. relatively certain, but. Here's, here's the thing, which, which talk about the DeFilippo offense and how it looks different than what we saw in Philadelphia. Man, they don't got tight ends, right? <sighs> Kyle Rudolph is 10 types of wash, okay? And they run 12, and they run 12 personnel a lot. Right, with him and David Morgan. <laughs> Tell me something about David Morgan. Tell me literally anything about David Morgan. He allowed the strip sack in the NFC Championship game because they tried to bring him across the formation to block Derek Barnett. Yeah, so this is the most notable thing we know about <laughs> Derek Morgan is that one time he couldn't block a dude, right? Like, this is not a good player. They got uh, Tyler Conklin, the Central Michigan uh, tight end, who's now third on their depth chart. I'd like, I mean, I'd put him out there to do something because <laughs> you're running 11 and even 12 personnel, and and Kyle Rudolph should never be asked to run a, a route more than eight yards down the field because it's going to take him a day. He is slow. Uh, it's just not. It's it's Brent Selleck end of his career levels of just plotting. Right? It's not what it's not what it used to be with Rudolph, which is a shame. And so they're at a point where. Like, you're seeing Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen be split zone blockers, Mike. You're seeing them cut. They're coming in and lead blocking in the hole on whams mm-hmm. and traps. That's not what you want to be doing with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Those are very good pass catchers. This is the kind of what you've been called on to do. That tight end lack of depth hurts their positional versatility, in my opinion, number one. 
And number two, it makes them do things with, with Thielen and Diggs. Like you said, they'll line them uh, Diggs up inside, and that's tough to deal with. But also it's kind of because they have to because they don't really have any bodies who they can run out of that position right now. Ben, I want you to go to drive one or two of the Minnesota Vikings against the San Francisco 49ers. They line Thielen up outside of the tight end, and I think it was like a negative two or a positive two-yard run. Jaquiski Tart, the safety for the 49ers, just smashes Adam Thielen right into the path of Dalvin Cook. And I'm like, why are you Listen, using Thielen like this? And Thielen ain't – oh, wait. This is uh, one-yard Jakiski Tart. I didn't watch the Niners game. I Try watched, that one. Yeah, uh, maybe Packers. it's one-yard. Pretty sure this is it because Tart's you know, kind of like hyping himself up a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is definitely it. <laughs> Listen, Thielen ain't a small boy, too. I love Jakiski Tart. Yeah, That's fun. <laughs> Good rest. That's Good what they got to do. Tart. Listen, listen, because not only do they not have tight ends, their wide receiver depth chart is Laquan Treadwell and then Brandon Zlistra, Zlistra, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they don't even have guys who they can be putting like on the outside to be threats so that they can run Diggs and Thielen from the inside. You know what I mean? They really, really lack depth of pass catcher in my opinion. So Ben, okay, we've covered the position groups and I think it's time to make a bet. We, we were, we're not going to give a final prediction for the score. We're going to do that on the next show when we recap the Philadelphia Eagles offense against this Minnesota Vikings defense that has gone from a buzzsaw to somewhat toothless, really. The Rams just uh, lit them up. The Bills lit them up. Weird stuff. So the favorite is the Philadelphia Eagles by three. The line is at 45 and a half. What does that work out to for offensive points for the for the Minnesota Vikings there, college boy? So it's pretty much like uh, 24 to 21. Over under 21 points for the Minnesota Vikings offense. <sighs> this is so difficult because the Eagles could roll out in the same coverage shell they used against the Titans mm. and get toasted. Or they could do something different. And that could work or it could also get toasted. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like this know. game is like one of the highest variances for scoring outputs that, that we could have right. for, with that Minnesota offense. The Vikings could put up a ton and put up nothing and Eagles could put up a ton and put up nothing. You know what I mean? I kind of don't know where I am on this game yet. Yeah. I will take the under because of home field at the end. This is my sole reasoning. <laughs> I, I feel the exact same way. It's been a good bet. I'll take the under for 21 points from the Vikings as well. But like we talked about, Man, we could get beat with some shots. They've got some awesome wide receivers. As long as we get home, though, I think we're going to take care of, of business with that front four just knifing through this this Swiss cheese offensive line from the Minnesota Vikings. Ben, I think that's all we have for today. Tomorrow, we're going to be back with the Eagles offense against the Minnesota Vikings defense. We'll be previewing the matchups there. I'll be talking with Trey Thomas for a fireside chat. That'll be up later in the day. Go back and listen to episode 20 with me and Harif Hassan from the Athletic Minnesota Check out that episode. We got you covered every which way. And then uh, BGN Radio will be dropping soon as well with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton to give you updates on the injury reports and all that good stuff, previewing the game, Vikings, Eagles, at Lincoln Financial Field. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle listeners. You ready for how professional this is about to be? Oh, boy. Here we go. Every 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 show. Thank you so much for listening here to the uh, Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you stopping by as always. Uh, please do leave those five star ratings and reviews. We do like to read out the funny ones. I know there was one uh, where somebody, firstly, they dropped uh, "Maybe I'll do rain forever and always" as the <laughs> beginning of their review, which is very strong. Yeah. Uh, and then he also uh, wants to hear about what sort of 
drinks I like before he decides on the on which uh, on whether or not to listen to our show. Like he said, or on Kiss V Solak, he said, "I need to hear what are Ben's go-to drinks and type of beers he likes before I decide on Kiss V Solak." The Red Bull Express to Blackout Station doesn't seem like too high a bar to clear, but you know Ben be tiny. All right, number one at T S Howlin. I don't really understand anything as what you just said. Um, the number two, I actually don't drink at all. Uh, it's total teetotalers. Not very exciting whatsoever. I don't think I've even uh, had a Red Bull before. I'm pretty sure. How many years did it take you to drink a carbonated soda? I mean, I, so I drank one when I was young and I didn't like it. And so I don't drink them. That's wild. No, nah, I don't like I don't like carbonated beverages. I find them unpleasant. <laughs> so iced tea is good. My favorite drink is an Arnold Palmer. And I'll buy those half gallons right from the, the gas station and I'll throw those back. Okay. Fantastic. And it's sugary vodka, and I, I shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, so great with vodka. Um <laughs> so I don't drink it all. Sorry, T. S. Allen. This is a shame. But if you have fun questions, if you have funny reviews, again, all these five stars, we love seeing them. They're very wonderful. We are at 461. Yeah. So please keep on wrapping that up in the race to 500. Uh, as Mike said, we will be back for you tomorrow. Eagles offense, Vikings defense, bleedinggreennation.com, all of the injury updates, all of the Le'Veon Bell news, all of the schematic, all 22 posts, everything we talk about, you can read on there as well. Thank you so much for listening. Join us tomorrow. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.